please welcome to the stage for a conversation on education and native languages, Principal Chief Chuck Hoskin of the Cherokee Nation, Chief Executive Melanie Benjamin of the Malak Band of Ojibwe, Secretary Miguel Cardona from the United States Department of Education, Secretary Deb Holland from the United States Department of the Interior. This discussion will be moderated by Anne-Marie Bledsoe-Downs, Principal Deputy Solicitor at the United States Department of the Interior. Anne-Marie is an enrolled member of the Winnebago Tribe. Hainapi, Hinakaragina, good morning. I greet you all. Um, my name is Anne-Marie Bledsoe-Downs, and it's a thrill to be here with you all, our 10th. Uh, Tribal Nations Summit, my fifth, um, and I'm thrilled to be moderating the um, Education and Native Languages um, panel. Uh, we are a few minutes behind, and as they say, Emery, you have one job, um, and so I'm going to try and make up a little bit of time, And um, but we have a phenomenal panel here for you today. To my immediate left, uh, a lady who needs no introduction, um, Secretary uh, Deb Holland, um, and I guess I will, since she's already had an introduction, I just might say, um, a, a New Mexican, a proud New Mexican, um, where both my mother and my brother also live. So uh, thrilled to, to uh, highlight that part of it. I will also introduce uh, Secretary Cardona. He's the 12th Secretary of Education, and he previously served as Commissioner of Education in Connecticut. And while serving in that position, he faced the unprecedented challenge of responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and led the safe reopening of the efforts in Connecticut. His approach to leadership there focused on partnerships and his work at all levels is always driven by a focus on equity and excellence for all leaders. He has had two decades of experience as a public school educator and he has a master's in bilingual bicultural education, administrator preparation program, a doctorate in education, and he is very active in his community serving on many nonprofit and charitable organization boards and or boards of directors but his greatest source of pride is his family. He and his beautiful wife, Marissa, are the proud parents of two children. And for our tribal leaders, I would like to quickly introduce Chief um, Executive Melanie Benjamin from the Millax Band. She is the first, uh, was first elected to the four-year term of Chief Executive um, in 2000 and was re-elected in 2004, 8, 12, 16, and 20. She previously served as the band's commissioner of Administration and Senior Vice President of Administration and Finance at Grand Casino. As Chief Executive, she leads the executive branch of the band's government and is responsible for conducting external relations with other governments. She holds numerous board's appointments, and just to highlight a few, she is on the Native American Finance Officers Association, Women Empowering Women for Indian Nations, the American Indian Law Resource Center, the National Indian Gaming Association, and U.S. Attorneys General Tribal Nations Leadership Council. She holds a master's degree in education and a bachelor's in business administration. And last but certainly not least, Principal Chief Hoskin. He serves as the Principal Chief of the Cherokee Nation, the largest tribe in the United States with more than 440,000 citizens. Prior to being elected in 2019, he was Cherokee Nation's Secretary of State and also served as a member of the Council of the Cherokee Nation. 
As principal chief, he has increased the minimum wage at the Cherokee Nation and Cherokee Nation businesses and secured the largest language investment in the tribe's history to expand tribal, the tribe's cultural preservation. He appointed the tribe's first delegate to the U.S. Congress, and he authorized, prioritized health and wellness initiatives, including record investments in behavioral health and addiction treatment. He holds a BA and JD degrees from the University of Oklahoma. Can you join me in welcoming all of my panelists? So a quick note about our format today, and this will follow for most of the panels that are happening over the course of the next couple of days. I'll ask each of the panelists a series of questions, and then at the end, we will open it up to questions from the audience. And I understand Principal Deputy Assistant Ter Secretary for Indian Affairs, Wheezy Pan, Little Elk Garriott, will be helping me with that portion of um, the session. And our goal is to try and get as many tribal leader questions in as we can. So with that, I will turn to the very first question, and that is for Principal Chief Hoskin. Principal Chief Hoskin, what does native language preservation and revitalization look like in your community? Well, in the Cherokee Nation, um, I think the overarching thing it looks like is we, we, we want everyone in the Cherokee Nation to be on the mission to save the Cherokee language. I mean, that's so important. I mean, the truth is most Cherokees are like their chief. They don't speak Cherokee. And we have 441,000 citizens and only 2,000 fluent speakers left. So we want everybody to understand the purpose. And the purpose is that whether you speak Cherokee or not, you know, it's somewhere in your heart. And that's true in all tribal nations. And it connects us back to our creation. And that's why it's important because if that link is broken, and this is what we talk about in the Cherokee Nation, it is irreparable in terms of the damage to the Cherokee Nation. It's almost an existential effort to save this language. So first and foremost is to make sure everybody's on the mission. It's not just something nice to do, it's something we must do. And the other thing it looks like of the Cherokee Nation is we have a sense of urgency. Those 2,000 fluent speakers are mostly over the age of 70. And so what we talk about a lot is we've endured a great deal in our history, as every tribal representative here knows about their history. Uh, the pressures and the obstacles and the damage that has been done to the Cherokee Nation, whether it's been federal Indian policy, whether it's been colonization, whether it's been any, any number of pressures or injustices, um, the biggest obstacle we face now is the passage of time and the fragility of human life when you have most of our speakers over the age of 70. So there's an urgency. So against that backdrop, we are putting historic sums into this effort because it matters and because we have to move with haste. So we've created what I think is a very effective language program that's comprehensive. It starts with pre-K through uh, middle school immersion. Uh, and it continues on with programming in our high school. And then we have what I think is a really innovative and effective master apprentice language program so that adult learners who want to go on to fluency can do so with two years of intensive training. And we've recently put all of that under one roof, a really remarkable facility called the Durban Feeling Language Center, named after our great language warrior, late great language warrior, Durban Feeling. That means that all of these programs we have that I think are very effective are all under one roof, and the, uh, the sum is greater than the parts. You've got pre-K kids 
learning Cherokee, reading, writing, and arithmetic in Cherokee, and next door we have a language village for elders, and so that you have this really, for the first time in generations in the Cherokee Nation, a community experience where the language is spoken organically, and there's this real sense that we can save it. So we have the programming, number one, to save the language. I think it's going to be effective. The other thing is this, the damage done to Native peoples and our language has taken on many forms. And what we know about our fluent speakers is that many of them are living in difficult conditions. Many of them are living uh, in substandard housing, not all, but some. Some of them uh, are in other types of difficulties, whether it's health, whether it's where they live, economic opportunity, things they're struggling with. So we've dedicated something called speaker services. We have decided that if we're going to save the Cherokee language, We've got to save the communities where the language is spoken, and we've got to go in and protect and lift up the elders that still speak it. So it's not just about teaching Cherokee. It's about making sure we send a second language fluent speaker to an elder's home so that if she has a roof that's leaking but she's not going to go into the housing office, we go to her, and we help lift her up. And then suddenly everybody knows we're on this mission to save this language, and it's not just about language instruction. It's about saving the speakers, because if we don't reach out and help the speakers, we can't expect them to help us on this mission. They need to live a good quality of life. So it's a comprehensive program. We couldn't do it without our federal partners. That Durban Feeling Language Center I mentioned was built with the 477 program with the Department of Interior. The Department of Interior made that happen, and I'm very proud of it. Thank you very much, Principal Chief. That's wonderful. A lot to be learned there. I'm going to, before turning it to um, Secretary Holland and Secretary Cardona, ask Chief Executive Benjamin to share from her perspective what's happening with revitalization efforts in her community. Good morning. And... When you think about language revitalization and you think about we as Anishinaabe, the original people, we have teachings, we have our ceremonies that have been provided to us from birth to death. And along those lifelines, all of those teachings have to be done in Ojibwe. And to get that full impact of who you are as Anishinaabe, you need to know the full meaning of the language. And um, Mille Lacs Band, I'm proud to say, was the, the place where Ojibwe people came to learn about the culture, the traditions, and the language. Many people would come to the band, team up with our elders to learn, and then they would take what they learned and perfect it along the way. So we have a lot of second speaker instructors and um, master apprentices. And when you think about that, that sometimes we don't realize the importance of that as Anishinaabe and Mille Lacs Band and our elders again have passed. And with that, they take that teaching with them in that language. So we also came to the point where we noticed that we had so little elders and first language speakers that we needed to look at this as an, one of the highest priorities to make sure we continued to, to teach that language because in that language, it's all about who we are as people 
it, it's our values, it's our systems. So we also then looked at a master apprentice uh, programs, uh, immersion in our Head Start in our schools, and um, also a very exciting program that we have is the Rosetta Stone Partnership. So we have Ojibwe language through the Rosetta Stone where anyone can now go onto the program and learn the language. And there are 137 tribes, I believe, that are participating along with the Mille Lacs Band. And we've also created books in Ojibwe, so you have to be fluent to read the books and the lessons for the kids, and we wanted to make sure that that was possible. And along with that, we also used our federal partners, 477, that uh, teamed up with us and provided a lot of support for us to be able to provide this opportunity for the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe and any other tribal person that wants to learn the Ojibwe language. So I'm very proud that we have that. And I know our elders talk about when um, they worked on this project that uh, it made them so happy. They felt so good that they were going to be able to provide something that the seven generations will always have access to. And so we looked at, at that as a way to making sure that we provide this opportunity. And one of the other things, you have to, of course, pay to get on the Rosetta Stone. And our elders said, we do not want anybody to have to pay the Mille Lacs Band to learn the language because they felt that that wasn't what we were looking for. And uh, we have language tables. Uh, we have um, where people get together and they do all these activities. And just having the opportunity for that through federal partners and the Mille Lacs Band and looking at that as a priority has been very beneficial to us. But it's, it's a small step. We have a long way to go. And so having this discussion and teaming up again with whatever opportunities we have will benefit the Mille Lacs Band and all of us together. Miigwech. Thank you, Chief Executive. So Secretary Cardona, I'll turn to you next. And I think you've heard from my tri tribal leaders, you know, the sense of urgency, the need for investment, um, how important uh, language and cultural preservation is um, to connection to ancestors and important for um, our, our young people growing up. But we also know it improves educational income outcomes, having um, that connection to language and culture. So I'm wondering if you could briefly talk about how we can effectively use uh, federal resources to help with language revitalization. Uh, thank you, and first of all, let me just say what a beautiful view I have. Thank you for being here. This is a, an honor for me to be here with my friend and colleague, Secretary Holland. Um, language is culture. You cannot separate language and culture. I, too, was a second language learner. I learned Spanish first. And in my studies, I learned that there's a term called code switching where people speak two languages. They, they revert to their native language when speaking to someone uh, to show emphasis, to show connection. Code switching. And I learned growing up when I'm speaking to my family, when I'm speaking to my grandparents, when I'm speaking to uh, people in the Latino community, my elders, it's a sign of respect. 
you cannot separate language from culture. And it seems uh, there has been a systematic assimilation in our education system that has not only eroded language, but culture. And we're at a point now where if we don't address that unapologetically and boldly, the efforts that my colleagues here were talking about are going to be more difficult to accomplish. You see, because language, as I said before, is identity. When I visited uh, Tohono O'odham or Saginaw Chippewa, and I talked to students, their language was symbolic of who they were. When I spoke to students who performed drum ceremonies, that music was a connection of who they were. So when they have opportunities to learn about language and drums, they're learning about themselves. They're learning about their culture. I often say being bilingual and bicultural is a superpower that often gets dismissed in this country. We have to lift language and culture for all students as a way to develop their superpowers. Income, earning potential, self-identity, self pride, those are all things that are outcomes of it. We are proud to provide over $185 million to support Indian education and $5 million to promote English learning, but that $5 million really goes to help preserve native language as well. And we just recently announced the beginning of a process where we're going to provide grant money to lift up models that work really well, because I think our responsibility is to share best practices across the country of uh, models that work, so that in our districts, uh, we value language and culture instruction. We, we have a culturally responsive pedagogy that respects the cultural uh, differences and celebrates them. Uh, we have a lot of work to do to make sure that not only our Native American students em feel embraced and celebrated for their superpower, but that other non-Native American students see the beauty and value in the community when we learn about other cultures. I was very impressed with Showtime, were you? Weren't they amazing? Showtime, I know you're sitting in the back there. Let's give them another round of applause, the drum group. When you, when you perform, you're not only uh, performing music, but you're reaffirming your culture. And that's critically important for our students to see that. So with, this, with these dollars, what I want to see happening are courses in all of our schools, because we know 90% of our Native American students are in our traditional schools, where we're learning about culture, we're learning about different music techniques, we're learning language. And we're giving our students an opportunity to identify in their schools, schools that have traditionally assimilated different cultures. So we can talk strategy all day today. We have to first talk about the mindset to boldly confront what has been traditionally a system that assimilates different cultures and different languages. We're one of few countries where monolingualism is almost celebrated. We have to do better. And I do believe that our schools 
are places to do that. And I applaud and commend all of you for modeling the perseverance to make sure that native languages are not lost. We're going to learn from your example. We're going to lift your examples up, and we're going to support you in this process. Thank you. Thank you so much, Secretary Cardona. I think the, the recognition of the challenge we have um, ahead of us, how important it is, and your willingness to be part of that solution is refreshing, and I thank you for that so much. Um, Secretary Holland, I'll turn to you next to maybe build on some of the things that the federal government can do to help with re language revitalization efforts. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Um, and thank you all again for being here. So. My mother was the generation, well, one of the generations, I think it was multi-generational, but she got beat in public school even for speaking her, our native language, which is Karis, the, the language our governor speaks, Governor Kuimi. Um, and so that made her afraid to teach us, this my generation. So my siblings and I, aren't fluent Keras speakers, although I can understand some. I can introduce myself. I can do, do those things. Um, my grandfather's generation was one where you had to learn other people's languages, otherwise you wouldn't be able to communicate. So my grandfather spoke three languages fluently, Keras, um, Toa, and English fluently, and he could also communicate in um, Hopi and Navajo because he worked with Navajo people and he had Navajo friends and he, he did a lot of cultural things in Hopi so he needed to learn how to communicate with the um, people there. And, and we see that doesn't happen a whole lot anymore because we all have busy lives. We're working nine to five jobs, sometimes two jobs and we have children and bills and all of these things to worry about. I think one of the best things that the federal government can do is, of course, to have people like uh, Secretary Cardona <laughs> leading the Department of Education because he understands what language means because he has his own language that he was raised with and understands what that means. But I, in my remarks, I mentioned um, like bringing our communities into the modern era um, with programs like Rosetta Stone. It helps to make sure that your tribes have quality broadband internet service so that kids can access those programs. Uh, we need to make sure that we are providing the foundations for those opportunities to learn for your communities. Um, another thing, uh, with respect to the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative, we recognize that the, one of the most um, hor horrible things to come out of those assimilation policies was the loss of language, because they, they wanted us to be um, monolithic. They wanted, they wanted our, to strip our children of their culture and identity, and language was one of the things that they could take away fairly easily. Um, but we surprised them because we're still uh, working hard to make sure that we 
do everything we can to preserve those languages. I had the honor of traveling to the Cherokee Nation with uh, the First Lady, Dr. Jill Biden, and we visited the immersion school that Chief Hoskins spoke of, and it was wonderful. The children sang in the Cherokee language. They sang me happy birthday in the Cherokee language. I went there on my birthday, and, um, and it was really so heartwarming to see that those it's, they're, the, the tribe is opening up an entire world for those children to learn from their own language. And I, I recognize how important that is. It made me feel really lonely that I didn't have that growing up. But um, it's never too late. And what we want to do is make sure that we're supporting all of the tribes in the ways that you know best how to reach your people, how to engage your children, how to make sure that you're giving the support to the uh, speakers that you have in your communities. Um, and so consultation, uh, one of the most important um, things that President Biden has charged all, all of us with is tribal consultation. You tell us what you want. You tell us what you need, and we will absolutely do our best to make sure that we provide you with that. Wonderful. Thank you, Secretary Holland. I think um, we'll probably hear more about the boarding school initiative throughout the course of the next couple of days, but a really important um, uh, project, and I think is um, one of the key out of many outcomes we've seen from that is exactly what you identified is that um, we, the federal government, were um, active in these assimilation policies which um, lessened the connection to culture and language and so we have to be active participants in helping to rebuild and help um, tribal communities uh, like those here on stage but I know there's a number of those in the audience who are um, actively pursue, uh, pursuing these efforts and so finding ways to to support um, uh, tribal communities as they um, engage in these efforts. So um, a couple questions for my uh, tribal leader participants. Um, Chief Huskin, we've talked a little bit about the sense of urgency, um, the need for resources, and ultimately, you know, planning in order to make sure that we are um, uh, using those resources effectively. So can you talk to me a little bit about the Cherokee Nation's 10-year plan and how that might inform the federal government's approach to um, long-term planning around revitalization? Sure. In, by the end of the decade, we have to be generating more fluent speakers than we're losing is the simple proposition. And I mentioned earlier what we're up against with 2,000 fluent speakers, mostly over the age of 70, so it needs to happen sooner rather than later or that connection is broken. So that is the end goal by the end of the decade. To do it, uh, what we really have to do at the Cherokee Nation, and I think this has to be true anywhere, is it's not enough to increase the supply of speakers. I mean, I love it when I walk into that immersion school. It's, we've, we have a new one. You'll have to come back and visit. We have the new one uh, that is wonderful. I've gone in there, and the kids speak circles around their chief in Cherokee, and that's a point of pride for me because I know one of these kids is going to be the next fluent speaking chief of the Cherokee Nation. So that's encouraging, but it's, it's not enough just to generate more speakers. You have to, that's the supply. You have to make sure the demand is there. And it's not enough that we just want fluency. People got, have to be able to earn a living, 
live a life speaking the language. And so it is, though, a bit of a cycle as we expand uh, our curriculum and our immersion schools, which we've expanded it to another community and have hopeful plans to expand to a third. That means more teaching jobs. As we explore technology, and we're using Apple and Google, and we're into animation, as I know a number of other tribes are, we're creating opportunities in the creative arts to use the Cherokee language. The opportunities we have to make sure that these speakers we help create, this new generation of speakers, to make sure they can use that in their lives is so critical. So the supply is one thing, the demand is another, and we have to create both. Uh, and we have to do it with that sense of urgency. But to do it, we have used federal resources. We have a grant that's helped us with uh, developing our strategy. We do have a 10-year plan, and it is about expansion. It's about looking at what works. Our immersion school works. That's why we're expanding it. Our adult master apprentice language program works. That's why we've quadrupled it over the last four years. Uh, we've developed relationships in, you know, with the entertainment industry to, again, do this voiceover work. So there's opportunities to, again, use the language. Um, that speaker services program I mentioned earlier is so important because we know we're going to have to expand it as the years go on, making sure the quality of life of communities that, frankly, the rest of the world forgot about or never heard of, but we built those communities. Uh, we've got to make sure we're there to save those communities so that the people who speak the language are raising kids and grandkids who speak the language too and they're not drifting off or they're not succumbing to some of the really difficult problems that we have at Cherokee Nation in some of our communities. So this whole of government, government approach that the, that the United States is undertaking for language, which is so really refreshing, really aligns with what the Cherokee Nation is doing from a tribal government perspective. So our strategy is informed by, again, that basic proposition of more speakers created than we're losing uh, by the end of the decade, making sure we increase the supply of speakers, making sure we create opportunities to teach and create in the Cherokee language, uh, and to do so in tribal communities that are revitalized. And that's a, that's a tall order, but we have to do it if we really believe what I mentioned earlier, that it matters whether we save these languages. Uh, and and it, that's something we ought to ask ourselves. Does it matter? It absolutely matters, and it matters because it is existential. If we lose the Cherokee language, look, in a decade, we may be running healthcare extraordinarily well. We may have great casinos. We, we may have great businesses, but that is not what it means to be Cherokee, as important as that is. What it means to be Cherokee is our culture and our language. If we lose it, we will have lost something we can't replace. So that informs our strategy over the next decade but it does get down to the very granular, granular level of programs, curriculum, certifying our own teachers instead of letting outside entities certify them. I could go on and on, but we've got this brilliant team at the Cherokee Nation, and we've got a great partner uh, in the Department of Education and, and the Department of the Interior, uh, and HHS for that matter. We get resources from them as well. That will help. Thank you, Principal Chief. I think that's so important, the whole of government approach, right? Because um, those preservation efforts, um, they're about housing, they're about health care, they are, of course, about education, um, social services, uh, you know, justice services. It, it, all of that is important to make sure that the 
um, revitalization efforts are, um, you know, uh, impacted by the, in the whole community, the whole tribal community. Um, Chief Executive Benjamin, I might, um, you mentioned the 477 program and how that, um, uh, those funding opportunities helped with the investments that you're making in your community. Um, other thoughts or ideas on how the federal government can continue to support revitalization efforts um, in tribal communities? Let's start out by saying chi uh, miigwech to our federal partners because they really helped us along the way of getting some of these programs going. And uh, there are staff that just are outstanding uh, working with the Mille Lacs Band. And when we're looking at how do we continue in everything we need, we need funding to be able to move these forward, to bring into staff, to create the curriculum, to do exciting programs. Um, our, a group of our second learner beginners went down to Cherokee this summer and they came back, they were so energized and excited about the opportunity. So I did wanna uh, mention that. It, there are some tribes out there that are doing wonderful things and we're listening to some of that today as well. And, but when we look at the opportunities, we have to have the opportunities to grow those teachers and making sure that we have predictable funding. From year to year, sometimes you don't know exactly what that's going to mean, but if we knew that we had this set amount of funding every year, we could really strengthen our strategic plans and how we're moving forward. And I was sitting thinking too is that on the reservation we have all of the towns that are border us and they have public schools as well and a lot of our students go there as, as well too and there aren't as many strong um, programs, language programs in those public schools. I've heard school board members talk about what is more important, teaching our kids math or science or teaching them the language. And so you see that they don't really understand what the value of that language is because it's our culture, it's our traditions, it's our value systems that help us when we know those to cure our social ills that we may be experiencing. And looking, making sure that um, we have these programs for sites that we can turn into complete immersion programs, making sure our babies are in a setting where they only hear Ojibwe when they're in those daycare centers. And um, I just think about watching kids that you tell them, sit down, sit down, sit down sometimes in a setting, and then you say, nubba-dubbin, those kids will sit down immediately. That language has such a more powerful impact on them, and I think it's so important that uh, we give them the opportunity. And um, also we have to establish those strong programs with the surrounding communities because they are also teaching our kids. And uh, currently we don't have the resources to have a school big enough for uh, those uh, all our students to come and parents will decide where they want to send their kids as well. And um, just looking at those visions that you think maybe don't work like publishing books in Ojibwe or your own language that kids will have to learn those and those stories and all of the exciting things that Cherokee is doing is that we have a basis that we can grow from and what works for us 
or each of the individual tribes, I think is very important too, is that we have to make sure when we talk about consulting with tribes that you really focus on what their needs are because we're, we're not gonna be all the same in terms of how we want to, to continue to uh, revitalize our language and just um, all of those support systems out there with, with social services, health, natural resources, where we protect the environment and to understand the importance of that through our language will make life better for all of us. And as our elders tell us, the, the money do put us on this earth and we all have those gifts and it's our responsibility to find out what that is and how we can share those and, and, and make life better for all of us. Miigwech. Thank you. Two really good, important points. Um, one, making sure that um, government programs are flexible to um, making sure they're adapting to how tribal communities um, approach these efforts and letting them prioritize how that looks uh, for them. And the other point I think um, I heard is um, making sure that uh, schools understand it. it shouldn't be a competition between those subjects and language preservation, um, but in fact, they help build them up. And um, I, my, my, in a previous life, I was a tribal college president, and I think that's exactly what we learned out of the tribal college movement, right? When you infuse language and culture into the curriculum, those outcomes um, are improved um, no matter the subject area. So um, thank you all so much for that. We're going to turn now to the audience uh, questions. We've been very good and diligent with our time. Let me thank my panelists. And we've probably got time for two or three questions. I'm going to call on Principal Deputy Assist Assistant Secretary Weezy Pan Little Out Garriott to help me um, identify tribal leaders. If you wouldn't mind um, stating your name and where you're from and giving us a succinct question so we can get as many questions in during Probably about nine, 10 minutes we have here for those questions. That would be great. I'll turn it over to you, Weezy. 